Welcome to the Empowered Eating and Living Podcast, where we dive into your inner world to explore all of the psychological, emotional, energetic, and spiritual components that may be influencing your struggle with food and eating. I'm your host, Sarah Emily Spears, a trained psychotherapist and energy worker who recovered from my own eating disorder. And now I help women just like you do the inner work to address the real issues keeping you stuck in your problematic eating patterns. Because I assure you, your problem with food is about way more than food. So join me and guest experts as we discuss the psychology of eating and healing and empower you with tangible steps you can take today to begin to improve your relationship with food and yourself from a place of true nourishment and care. Zan Rule is the CEO of The Habit, where you get customized macro-based coaching for women. And she also happens to be a friend of mine from grad school. We both completed our master's in marriage and family therapy and completed a practicum at an eating disorder clinic. And it's through this work and Zan's personal journey of weight gain and feeling like she was living in a body that wasn't her own that she felt called to help people with similar struggles. She went on her own journey to regain her health and confidence back, and she dove into her studies of what healthy living meant to her, and through that discovered the beauty and flexibility of living a macro-based lifestyle. And now she helps hundreds of women do the same through The Habit, which has their program designed in four distinct sections, education, mindset makeover, habit building, and sustainability. I think you'll really enjoy my conversation with Zan The topic of macros is one that is really prevalent in our world at this time, especially with social media, and I want to be able to clear up any misconceptions and help you determine whether or not using macros may be a tool that's supportive for you on your journey to healing your relationship with food and your body. Hey, Zan. Hi. I'm so excited for our little combo today. I know, me too. It's been a while since we've even chatted in general, so it's nice to see your pretty face. Yours too. And for (laughs) everyone listening, Zan and I go way back, way back to the grad school years. So we both did our graduate training at the University of San Diego for marriage and family therapy. So technically, we're both marriage and family therapists. Yes. You're just the licensed one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And we both did our practicum training at the Center for Healthy Eating and Activity Research. So Zan and I were training together to work with all sorts of eating disorders. And this center was specifically focused on like behavioral weight loss and binge eating disorder. Although we would have on occasion patients with anorexia or ARFID, which Mm -hmm. is avoidant restrictive intake disorder for anyone who hasn't heard of that term. So we both are pretty passionate about Mm -hmm. helping people improve their relationship with food and improve their mental health and well-being all around. Yes. How wild is it that it's almost been 10 years? Wait, really? Yes. We started the program in 2014. My jaw's on the floor. I I was thinking- That has not- occurred to me until you just said this right now. Yes. Cause I was telling all my uh, friends, I was like, Oh, I'm doing a podcast for my girlfriend, Sarah. We went to grad school and I was like, Holy crap. It has been almost 10 years. That's how mm. long I've known you. <laughs> I feel a little bit in shock. <laughs> 
I'm like questioning my reality right now. Like, what have I been doing for 10 years? But I guess a lot. My gosh. But I was thinking about that because truly you're really the only person like, you know, after all these years that I've kept in contact with. And I just remember being in grad school and us like gravitating towards each other because we did, you know, even though we have kind of veered courses in life and done our own thing, we had very similar passions with eating disorders specifically. And so that's what I feel like has like bonded us since then. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we also both worked as personal trainers for the same company for a little bit. Like we have had very similar but different paths. And you're right. Like one of the reasons I went to USD is because I wanted to do an eating disorder practicum. Mm -hmm. That was it. I was like, if I don't do this eating disorder practicum, I'm not doing this program. Like I knew 100% that's what I was there for. And you were like the only other person who felt as passionately about this is what I'm here for as well. And so (laughs) I'm going to like quick jump ahead for people just so they know that now your owner or CEO, what would you say? Which is it? Owner, CEO, either way. (laughs) And coach at a company called The Habit, which Mm -hmm. we'll explain. Um, But you also had your own personal journey that has led you to this place. And I would love to start by you sharing a bit about your personal journey so people understand why you are so passionate about this, like myself. And then we can dive more into the work that you offer at The Habit with macro counting. And Mm -hmm. that can be kind of this like, I don't want to say taboo, but there's potentially like it's controversial macros is this like, does that promote disordered eating? Is it a disordered eating behavior or is it a healthy thing to do? And so we're going to dive into that as well. But let's start with with all of that. Yes. Oh, boy. So uh, I would say my passion for, you know, health, nutrition, fitness really started after college. So I grew up as an athlete. That's what I knew, what I breathed. And, you know, when you're younger, you never have to think about what you're eating or how to exercise. If you're involved in a sport, it's kind of just handed to you. And so I go to college, I stopped playing sports and just completely lost my identity. I, um, you know, was drinking several nights a week. I was partying in college and the freshman 15 soon turned into freshman like 40. So I gained a significant amount of weight and it was the first time I really experienced being uncomfortable in my own skin. But I also was very aware that the environment that I was in was not going to set me up for success if I ever wanted to work on myself. Now, of course, I did make the choice of being in college having fun, having a social life. I didn't want to sacrifice that because for the four years I was in college were the best four years of my life. But what a lot of people don't know, you know, on the flip side, I would isolate myself. I became really depressed, very low self-esteem. I was getting into a lot of um, restricting and binge cycles. And that was all, you know, behind closed doors. And I kind of vowed to myself when I graduate college, I'm getting my butt in gear and I want to love myself again. And so that is where um, I really started, you know, working on my nutrition, educating myself a little bit more. And I got into strength training, you know, really loving like lifting weights and becoming, you know, a strong woman at the same time. And, you know, during this transformation, that's when I was applying for grad school. And I 
I always knew I wanted to work in the realm of, you know, eating disorders because I felt like I did kind of experience, you know, disordered eating in college. And when I was on my journey, I wanted to help other people as well, you know, lose the weight, be confident in their skin again. And so that was my main reason as to why I wanted to become an MFT and specifically work with eating disorders. If I didn't get that practicum site, I actually don't know what I would have done. That would, it would have been, I don't know, whole different journey, but um, while in college and at the practicum that um, we were both at putting in our hours, that's when I really, really started to learn that although I can sympathize for those who struggle with anorexia or anything on that side of the spectrum, I could empathize with those who were overweight and struggling with that side of the spectrum. And I could feel myself being so much more drawn to that clientele and being more passionate. And, you know, at at the time, I didn't want it to be like a disservice to the other side of the spectrum. So right then, that's when I really just came to terms like, you know, becoming an MFT licensed um, is just probably not going to be my path because now I truly want to help everyone who is struggling with their weight or, um, you know, anything that kind of similar that I went through. So I finished out the program, of course, because I don't quit anything, but (laughs) But um, that is when I kind of just took all my education with psychology, eating disorders, and applied it to starting my own business. And so that is when eventually the habit emerged. And, you know, the foundation truly comes from, you know, me wanting to help other women feel confident in their skin again. But I also, during my journey, this is when I discovered macros and mainly because I would work out, I started getting into CrossFit and macros are very um, prevalent in the CrossFit world, but I owe it to CrossFit for that education. So I had coaches kind of helping me, um, you know, just build the knowledge with macros in general. And they helped me so much and they healed my relationship with food. So I knew that had to be the foundation of my program as well. And so basically here comes the habit. Oh my gosh, what? 2018. So it's been about five or so years now, obviously always growing, always adapting, but you know, the habit really emerged to help women become, you know, who they recognize again and utilizing macros as a tool to help get them there. Now, like you said, macros can be very controversial with some people. um, But for the most part, I have found, you know, with the hundreds of women we've worked with over the years, it has completely healed their relationship and just it's so rewarding. And so I do feel like even though I didn't become a licensed MFT, I still apply that education all the time. And, you know, the coaches I have on board now also, you know, are educated in that realm. And so really just mind, body, and soul is what we want to encompass. Yeah. Which is why I wanted to have you on the show, because I know you have the background and the same background training as me. So I know you're aware of what can contribute to someone developing an eating disorder. So I trust that when you're supporting women with giving them guidance on what to eat or how much to eat or how to nourish their bodies, that it is coming from an educated and responsible place, first and foremost. Secondly, I don't do weight loss. 
right? Like this is where we, our two paths veered, but are perfect compliments because mm -hmm. I do the mental, emotional, energetic soul work so that yes. somebody can address the unprocessed emotions that might be causing them to emotional eat or their emotional attachment to like, I'm going to use, call you out like to donuts. <laughs> That's fine. Just like you and cookies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sam loves donuts. I love cookies. Right. But it's like, if you're trying, you know, to decrease how much sugar you're eating, but you just can't seem to control yourself around foods. Well, there's a, oftentimes an emotional attachment that's at place. So mm -hmm. I can help you break the emotional attachment. I can help you fill your soul holes. So you're not filling the, the void with food. You know, I can help you process all of the absorbed emotional energy or inherited energy that you've taken on from people or the childhood programming where food was used as a reward. Like there's such a spectrum of ways that I support people, but I always tell them, I don't tell you what to eat. Mm -hmm. I don't tell you how much to eat. I'm not a nutritionist. That's not my focus. I want to empower you to improve why and how you're eating and get at anything mm -hmm. that's keeping you from being able to nourish yourself from an empowered place. And I want to do whatever I need to, to help you begin to remove the obstacles to loving yourself mm -hmm. and forgiving yourself. Right. But I'm not going to tell you what to eat. And I do not guarantee weight loss. That's not my goal. Mm -hmm. I understand that people desire to lose weight loss, but that's not a journey I've personally been on. Yeah. I've, you know, sort of have the, I'm, I'm in a thin body. That's the body mm -hmm. I've been in my whole life. And so I understand the struggle of binging or purging or food cravings and not being able to control yourself around food. I get that. I can help you with that. But I don't know the experience of having to lose weight. And so for me to tell someone I can help you with that doesn't feel authentic or in integrity, mm -hmm. nor do I care about that. Like, it's just not my thing. Yes. And so you, <laughs> you know, you understand that struggle in a way that I don't. And therefore your passion is wanting to support women with that. And mm -hmm. I do tell people that like, there's people out there who can help you lose weight. I'm not that person. Yeah. And so that's why bringing you here to have this conversation feels really important to me because I want to be able to help clarify for people like what macros is so someone can mm -hmm. make an informed decision for yourself if this is something that feels like it might be a solution for you. Mm -hmm. But yeah. in no way is this necessarily the answer for everybody, right? But totally. we can have that conversation so people can understand and at least with that that awareness make that empowered choice for themselves. Yes. See, everyone needs a Sarah in their life, by the way. <laughs> but no, I mean, to your point, you know, you have the work, the techniques to help those, you know, really unravel their relationship with food and obviously better it. I have the education to where I explain to my clients all the time, the emotional connection and what happens within the brain and the body so that they, you know, my main objective is to not shame yourself anymore because our brains are so freaking powerful, like more than anyone will possibly understand. And so just to educate them on that, it almost helps relieve, you know, any stress and anxiety, like, you know, blaming themselves. And so, because even though the brain is powerful, the brain is like a muscle. If you train it one way, that's how, it, that's the only way it knows how to operate. But the coolest thing is we can retrain it another way. And so I think that, you know, like you said, you and I, like, even though we veered courses in the sense that like, I love helping women with weight loss, everyone needs that internal work that you provide. And so I've always been, you know, 
super supportive of your journey, but also it's just been so awesome to see you grow. And it's been really, really cool. And you've even been on my podcast. Yeah, we sure did. Yes. Talking about tapping and energy work. Oh, it's just so cool what you do. Thank you. Same for you. So let's (laughs) explain to people what macros are, macronutrients, like what you mean when you say that term. Mm -hmm. So um, the basics are macronutrients are protein, carbs, and fats. And so how I like to explain it is when you're tracking macros, you're basically taking calorie tracking one step further. You are now counting the nutrients behind the calories that you're putting into your body. And why this is important is because, sure, you can track your calories, make sure you're in a calorie deficit. That's the only way to really lose weight, lose fat. But everyone eventually experiences this plateau. And that's often when I see people start taking more drastic measures to continue to see the weight loss, like cutting their calories severely, severely like low. But If you, instead of just focusing on calories and focus on macros, you're providing your body with the correct proportion of nutrients, and you're going to start to see your body's going to be able to shed fat more quickly. Your metabolism is revving up, and overall, you're getting a good quality of each macronutrient because let's get real, um, our, our diet culture in general has demonized carbs specifically. Almost every single client that comes into my program is scared of carbs and we help them, you know, heal that relationship because once they start tracking their macros and they see that even carbs are just as important as proteins and fats, they are thriving. Their energy is greater. They are sleeping better. They're finally seeing body composition changes after putting in all this hard work in the gym. And so it's really rewarding to show them how just taking calorie counting one step further can make the world of a difference. Yeah. It's those food fears. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of people who have very strong conditioned fears around eating carbs, which is from the diet culture Mm -hmm. or um, I guess more of the keto sort of mindset. Totally. And I've also encountered a lot of women who have similar fears around fat. And there's, I think maybe our parents' generation had more of this like low fat, no fat mentality. Mm Mm-hmm. And that has been demonized as bad that if you eat fat, you'll gain fat, which also isn't true, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think there is something that can be really liberating and actually relieving when you're real, you know, you're told or taught that uh, there's a way that I can still eat the foods I love, whether it's pasta or bread or um, ice cream, right? Mm -hmm. And and still be able to have these in moderation, in a well-balanced diet, without any guilt, knowing that, because the fear is if I eat this, I'm immediately going to gain weight. Mm-hmm. Like That's where the brain jumps to. And so totally. it's like hard to enjoy that piece of pizza with pleasure if your brain is freaking out that as you do, you've just put on five pounds, mm-hmm. which is not true. Yes. That, that is the cognitive distortion when you talk about the power of the brain like the power of your thoughts are tremendous but sometimes just having someone who says hey like it's okay to eat this that alone Mm -hmm. can be helpful oh absolutely i mean you know as long as you are open and willing coming into this program to trust your coach trust the process 
I would say within two weeks, pretty much every client is liberated already. And just being like, I haven't eaten bread in years. I haven't eaten pizza. Like what? I just ate all these things this past week and I'm still losing weight. And I'm like, haha, that aha effect is like my favorite part when clients reach it. And so it is, you know, it's something that you have to be open to. And as you know, Sarah, it's all about exposure, exposure therapy. What you're doing is you're proving your own negative, uh, you know, connotations around food, you're, or you're disproving them every time you eat them and you realize you wake up the next day, you haven't gained five pounds, that little, you know, mental note you have around that food is slowly, slowly diminishing, but it does take a lot of time, a lot of repetition, just, you know, dependent on how ingrained those thoughts are and how long you have thought them. But if you put in the work, it can be undone. And that's the coolest part. Yeah, absolutely. All the beliefs can be changed if we recognize that they're unhelpful or untrue. Mm-hmm. You know, and and what I'm hearing are some clients' voices though who really believe it's true. You know, I hear a lot like, "Well, I can't eat bread because mm-hmm. if I have one piece, I'll eat the whole thing." Mm-hmm. And so there's this part that doesn't trust their ability to be able to just eat some and stop when they're satisfied, to have one right. donut or one cookie or, you know, a portion of fast food. And, and be able to stop. And part of the reason is because they've, and you can tell me your two cents too, but my understanding is because we've been denying ourselves and depriving ourselves of those foods, there's something called restraint release. So the moment you release that restraint, it's like the pendulum swings the other way and it's that all or nothing. Then you mm-hmm. go all in and just overdo it because the brain thinks I'm not going to be able to have this again. Exactly. Yes. So it's all, you know, when your body and your brain are being deprived of something, well, when you take a bite of it, your cravings are going to skyrocket. So yes, of course, it's really hard to not overindulge. I mean, taking from experience, like besides donuts, one of my other favorite things is chocolate. And I in college would restrict myself. And then I found myself like once a week, probably binge eating like sweets and chocolates, like two, 3000 calories because I couldn't stop. Now I can confidently say today I eat chocolate on a daily basis and I can take one to two bites and be satisfied. But that's because I have taught my brain and my body that I can have it at any time that I want. So when I take a bite of it, my cravings don't skyrocket anymore. And it is like, you know, when you first read that or someone says it, you're like, yeah, right. But when it's, you actually put it into practice, it's the flexible lifestyle that I always sought for and how happy I am now with myself being able to eat whatever I want. I mean, I want to just give that gift to everyone basically. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what you've described is a perfect illustration of how binging develops. You know, I say Mm -hmm. there's two pathways. There's the emotional pathway where someone at a very young age is, you know, their emotions are invalidated. And so the child learns when I feel this uncomfortable emotion, I eat, eating makes me feel better. And so over time, the unconscious and automatic response to any emotion is the brain telling you to go eat to feel better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the second pathway is the restriction pathway, which is what you're describing. It's like when we tell ourselves, I can't have this, I can't have carbs, I can't have fat, and we eat a very low amount of calories. The brain views that as a scarcity, as Mm -hmm. a famine, as there's not enough. And then when 
you're like reaching the point of either extreme hunger or you're around that food, the brain goes into overdrive and eats as much as it can in that one time because it thinks it may not have access to this food again. Mm-hmm. And then after you binge on your you know, 2000 calories of chocolate, you get hit with the guilt and the shame and the anger at yourself. And then you vow, I'm gonna have more willpower and never eat this chocolate again. And then, you know, you go a week, like, you know, using tooth and nail not to eat it until it happens again. Mm-hmm. And so one of the ways we get off that, that cycle is by finding the balance the middle point Mm -hmm. of some, which could take a little maybe experimentation for every person to find what that middle middle ground is. Mm -hmm. But in therapy, we call it the permission paradox. It's like, oh, the irony is when you give yourself permission, true permission to eat the food you told yourself you couldn't have or couldn't control yourself around, you begin to build trust in your ability to have some and stop when you're satisfied. And that's creating the new habit you're talking about. Mm -hmm. You're getting out of that vicious cycle. And like we've talked about, you know, it can be easier for some other or for some people versus others. And so that's what I always preface is that it's going to take time. It's going to take patience. You're going to have to give yourself grace because every time you take a stab at it doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. I mean, when I was trying to teach myself, did I still have binge moments? Absolutely. But over time, you know, more repetition, more practice. I have retaught my brain that I can have chocolate whenever I want. And it's not a necessity at this point, And I can still enjoy it. And that's truly like, that's what I want everyone to focus on is that end goal. Yes, it's going to be hard to get there, but it's so worth it once you are there. Which I appreciate you saying, you know, this is work and we mm-hmm. stumble as we go. And every what a lot of us view as mess ups are actually just learning opportunities. We learn from it and then you apply the learnings moving forward to continue to sort of reshape the pattern and the direction you want it to go. Mm-hmm. I'm curious for people, as you're speaking, I keep hearing the word in my mind of willpower mm-hmm. and, the, and the person who says, oh, I just don't have the willpower to have just a few bites of chocolate. Like what is your mentality around willpower? Um, I mean, willpower to me is, it can be almost viewed in a negative sense because you don't need the willpower to prevent yourself from eating something that you want. And this is where almost macros help give you that guideline and that framework. Like if you, I always tell my clients, whatever is the most important for you to eat, let's say chocolate is it absolutely important for you to eat after dinner and you want to work that in your day. You have an allotted amount of carbs, fats, and proteins every single day that your coach has customized for you. And you can work it into your numbers. So you can work anything into your numbers. And so truly you don't need to have willpower to avoid certain foods. Now, again, like we just talked about, when you are first reintroducing it to yourself, yes, you might have to limit the quantity you have in your house and that's okay. We're going to build you to that, but, um, never, we never say you need to have the willpower to stop. You need to have the willpower not to eat this. We just will put slight, I don't know, I don't even want to say rules, but it's more of just baby steps, right? It's shaping that overall goal to get them there. And, you know, even though right now I may not want you to have, you know, um, bounds of chocolate in your house because you are 
you're afraid that you might overindulge and I just want you to work your way up to it. Eventually you are going to have a ton of chocolate in your household and be okay with it. I mean, you should open my freezer right now because I love my chocolate cold and frozen. So I'm a weirdo, but I literally have like a bag of Kit Kats, a bag of <laughs> bag of chocolate almonds, like ice cream, you name it because it's there for me. And let's get real when everyone's um, cycle comes about because being a female is so much fun. That's when I want even more of it, but I make sure that I can have even more of it if I work it into my macro numbers for the day. So it's almost like macros are giving you that permission um, to where you eventually will give yourself that permission, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And, you know, I think it's what you're describing sounds like it's almost like the training wheels on riding a bike. Yes. It's like the support so that you can kind of stay balanced. And then eventually, once you get in the groove, you can kind of take off those training wheels and be confident mm -hmm. in your ability to keep that that habit, you know, going. Yes. But it does take a little bit at first. It can be wobbly. Mm -hmm. I always remember our the research study we were doing at Cheer. I don't know if you ever um, partook in it, but it was the um, the one we did with the little kids where we would have them write down their favorite foods, the foods that they often binge or overindulge on, or, you know, have now made that emotional connection when they're in distress. This is the food that they want. And I remember, you know, having them rate their cravings around said food. So we would be in a room and I would make them take a bite of like their favorite food. And then I would pull it away from them and they'd have to sit there. They'd have to smell it. They'd have to see it. And yes, of course, your cravings are going to skyrocket. But after 5, 10, 15 minutes, it would start to subside. And over time, the more and more I did that with these children, the more that they realize that they can have a couple of bites and be satisfied. They can have, you know, the things that they love and it doesn't have to automatically be the source of them, you know, becoming happy again, you know, if they're under distress. And so I just always go back to that research study because I loved being a part of it because that's essentially what I even do with my adult clients now. Although I'm not there with them in person, I definitely, you know, tell them, you know, all about the research study and what I did and if they could do it themselves. And some people have, and it's been super, super awesome to watch, you know, them like after, you know, a few weeks, they already can rate their cravings a lot lower than they did before. Yeah. So. And that study, as you're speaking about it, and I'm hearing it now from the outsider perspective, it really was just about building more self-awareness. Mm -hmm. The awareness of, oh, this is what's happening inside of me. Oh, there's this craving. It feels like a 10 out of 10. Like I, I want to eat everything. And then, oh, I'm noticing how it's starting to go down. And it was giving children this internal awareness to like conceptualize what the sensations in their body correlated to in terms of hunger and cravings and helped, you know, it's the same for us that we're not at the mercy of these sensations. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I'm just noticing this. And with this information, I get to decide what choice I'm going to make. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it wasn't this strict, rigid, you can't have this. We tortured the kids. You can't eat this. It was just yes. teaching them to like develop that, that internal awareness, mm -hmm. which is what I encourage my clients to do as well. Right. It's like so many of us are living on autopilot unconsciously. And totally. we're just, you know, mindlessly eating as we go throughout our day or we're eating out of habit and to be able to pause and really tune in 
to what is going on inside. That's why I call it the inner work for eating issues because mm -hmm. it's like, oh, there's stuff happening that I just haven't become aware of. And that awareness and knowledge gives you so much power. So Absolutely. then you don't need willpower because you have like true power that's coming yes. from like a conscious, mindful place, not mm -hmm. from this unconscious autopilot. And that's what I always start with is even though I may not have the tools and techniques that you have, you know, with your clients, it's building the awareness. That's step one for anyone. A lot of clients that I work with, I mean, females 40s even 50s have gone this long without realizing the emotional connections that they have created with certain foods and so when they're giving me you know kind of like a reflection over the past week and they said that you know they really struggled they almost binge ate this day um you know they were whatever it might be i always go back i'm like okay what was the precipitating event take me through your day and just by them telling me their day and me pointing out okay do you feel like x y and z is what led you to feel this way they're like oh my god i've never even thought of that and just that right there is already giving them the power to be aware and to be prepared the next time that this happens and then that's when you can create action plans with your clients that's when you can educate them that the, all the brain knows is you're under distress and the brain wants to make you happy again. And you've taught it, you're going to do that with food. So now let's find a different behavior that is still going to promote that same happiness because it's not just food. There's many things in this world that make us happy. And so I make my clients write down like a list, top five ways they feel like um, they can, you know, still promote that same happiness. And I teach them, you know, in that moment when you're under distress and you start to feel that craving increase for certain food, you have to replace that behavior right away. And what you're doing is rewiring your brain. So now the next time you're under distress, your brain is going to think of that different behavior rather than food. And it's wild. I mean, this is truly how powerful the brain is. And so just by giving people that knowledge, that education, that power, they automatically, you know, feel more confident in their ability to basically rewire their brains. Yeah. It's so cool. I yeah. like people to ask themselves, what am I truly hungry for? Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, I'm hungry for the feeling of happiness. You know, when we crave something, it's the anticipation of how it's going to make us feel, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, oh, I want to feel happy because right now I feel sad or I want to feel relaxed because right now I feel stressed. And it's like, mm -hmm. okay, well, is eating that box of donuts going to actually get rid of the sadness or actually mm -hmm. get rid of the stress? And it's like, no. <laughs> okay, fine. I'll do something different, you know, and sometimes yeah. it's reluctantly, but that's where I teach people tapping or different ways to regulate the nervous system so that they have the tools to be able mm -hmm. to effectively address what the true need is, like the need yeah. for relaxation, the need for fun or pleasure in their life. Mm -hmm. It's not always food as the, the answer for everything, but yeah. for many of us, it's become our default answer mm -hmm. for a lot of things. And I like to always emphasize to my clients, I'm like, when you eat, there quite literally is a chemical that gets released that makes us happy. This is why food addictions exist. Um, I'm a weirdo. And one of my favorite shows is uh, My 500 Pound Life because like, it's so fascinating to me, like, you know, the eating disorders that they've developed, but 
because I have an understanding and a sense of the brain, I get it. And that is why we often cope with food because we truly get that chemical release. And so, of course, it's hard not to have that be our crutch. But just educating them on that as well helps them understand and helps helps people helps a lot of clients stop shaming themselves so much because right. they truly understand it's not just them it's literally how we're wired our chemical breakdown chemical makeup whatever it is and it goes so much more beyond us and so um again like i just i remember being so shameful and so guilty after my binges and so i just want to normalize it it is such a normal thing to experience but now let's tackle it and make you happier basically so so i'm curious for you know i've seen on the social media platforms Mm -hmm. that there are some nutritionists or sort of anti-diet people who would potentially group macro counting in with maybe like healthy behaviors disguised as actually like eating disorder tendencies disguised as healthy or you know as part of the diet culture Mm -hmm. and i know that you say the habit is not a diet so what would you say to that yeah i mean first and foremost for anyone coming into the habit in our intake form i specifically ask if they've ever had a history of an eating disorder or if they have a current eating disorder i need to know where your mental health is right now because i will be the first to admit Macros are for some and macros are not for some. And it's all about your past experiences and what your relationship looks like with food right now. Now, I will never turn a woman away because that is not me. Like, I want to help you in whatever capacity I can. But um, if any woman is still has an ongoing eating disorder, I won't let them do the program unless it's in conjunction with them working with a therapist. That is beyond my scope of practice. And so for you to be safe in this program, I need you to also be seeing a therapist. So that's one, my number one rule. Those who have come in who have had prior eating disorders, it's more of, and they feel like they've recovered. Um, It's more of for, as a coach standpoint, I am now aware. If I see any Um, disordered behaviors, any um, obsession with tracking and with numbers, that is a trigger for me to have a deeper conversation with this client to make sure that this is truly safe for her. You know, eating disorders are sneaky. They, some may never be recovered. And so we never want macro tracking to be that trigger for you. So like I said, no matter what, there's different ways we coaches make sure that our clients stay safe. But why I don't think it's a diet, why I don't think that it is disordered eating hidden is because most clients who come in, whether they're doing it unconsciously or not, simply do not eat enough calories in general. So already when we customize our clients' macros, they're eating more calories than they've ever eaten before. And that already is a win in my book because Can we're- you give, Sorry, yeah. an example of like no. a, a, an average range? Oh God, yeah. I mean, I definitely will say it depends, like, you know, those that came from like diet culture, like our parents' generation. Oh, I mean, it's- a thousand to twelve hundred calories, um, and then you know, 
I would say that's not what you recommend. Like that's an example of what diet culture prescribes. Oh yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm saying so basically when anyone wants to sign up for the habit and before we customize their macros, we want to know where they're at right now. And so we make them track for a couple of days obviously asking them, please be as truthful as possible. Don't hide anything, log everything. And they come back to us and it's severely low calories. And I would say between the 1100 to 1300 range to put that into perspective, a 15 year old needs like 1500 calories. We're grown women and we're eating 1100, 1200. So I always want to see where they're at so that I can meet them where they're at and slowly increase their calories. Now, I'm not going to take someone who is eating consistently for years, 1,200 calories, and automatically tell them, hey, you need to now eat 1,800 calories. That can definitely mess up their relationship with food and can kind of send them in in that spiral, you know? So, I shape that goal, you know, my goal is to get them up to 1800, but let's do it slow. So when you first start off the first couple of weeks, I'm going to get you at 1350. And then from there, every other week, I'll slowly increase their calories. And that's them also building the trust of more calories is actually equating more progress. Mm -hmm. And then they automatically are like, I'm, I, I don't fear calories anymore. I don't fear eating this much. I feel amazing. My energy is great. I'm eating more than I ever have. And I'm finally losing the weight that I haven't lost in years. And so that in itself already, I feel like negates the whole disordered eating around macros. And then, you know, once we get their calories up and they're confident in their ability to eat that many calories, that's when we'll really dive into the macro breakdown. So coming into the habit, if we have women, because I've had this ha- happen before, they're like, well, low carb is the only way I've lost weight in the past. Keto is the only way I've lost weight in the past. Can you guys provide me with a macro breakdown um, in conjunction with that? And I literally will say no. Nope. If you are not willing to have an appropriate macro breakdown with adequate amounts of carbs, proteins, and fats, this program isn't for you. Now, if you're ready to dive in and tackle your fears, then let's freaking do it. But those that do, you know, they stop becoming afraid of calories. They stop becoming afraid of carbs, of fats. Most women are not eating nearly enough protein. And so just educating them on that as well, they finally understand how important each macro really is to your diet and just even your body in general, your hormonal balance, everything. And so to me, I feel like it's a tool that helps push you past those barriers to teach you, wow, like I really can eat in a balanced way, implement the things that I love and still see progress. Yeah. My personal experience also that I'll just share is when I was at the worst with my eating disorder, I had decided to try a vegan diet, which I'm not commenting on whether or not I think that's healthy or unhealthy, different bodies, different approaches. But the way that I, at the time, approached vegan eating was I stopped eating animal proteins Mm -hmm. and I stopped eating dairy. And I was reading a book on raw veganism. Mm -hmm. And so I was really only eating fruits and vegetables. And I was working at a summer camp that was a weight loss camp for teens. And their approach was a no fat, low fat diet. 
So I wasn't getting any healthy nuts or seeds or healthy oils or any sources of fat. So over the course of three months, I basically removed proteins and I removed fats and was just sustaining myself on pretty much fruits and fruits and vegetables, which is Mm -hmm. loosely carbs, but you know, not sufficient in terms of the caloric intake. And by the end of that, I had lost 20 pounds, was like 95 pounds. And that's what completely kicked off my my binging because mm-hmm. my body was starving and I was starving myself of the macronutrients I needed, which mm-hmm. at the time didn't realize I was doing. And I was like so confused about how to feed myself by the end of that because I kept reading all these different nutrition books and you know nutritionist recommendations and fitness influencers recommendations and so i'm like this person says protein is good and this person says this is bad and i don't know what to feed myself so i had so much anxiety when i would walk into the supermarket to try and grocery shop or when i would go out to eat and try to order something off the menu like i would panic Mm -hmm. because i just wanted to be healthy but i didn't know how to nourish myself anymore yeah. And when I was like at my worst binging and purging, I realized, you know, you have that moment of like, duh. And I was like, Sarah, I've like completely stopped eating protein and fats. Like, of course, mm-hmm. oh my God, like I need to like bring balance back into my diet. And I like, that's when I personally started to track my caloric intake and macros because I realized I have not been nourishing myself nearly enough and I need some guidelines to help get myself back on track. Mm -hmm. So for me, recovering from my eating disorder, like tracking my macros was a necessary tool because Mm -hmm. I had lost the capacity to feed myself. Yeah. However, I'll also say that there is that tipping point, which you named, which is then people who have a tendency to have eating disorders also have a tendency to be obsessive with numbers. And so there's that mental health piece where what could be a tool for me over time became something I obsessed about, right? Mm -hmm. And then if I went over what I thought was like the recommended amount of calories, I would say, oh, what the heck? I already blew it and I would go binge, Mm -hmm. right? right? And so every person listening to this, every woman, you really need to know yourself and be honest with yourself because if, you, you know, you're like, oh, I'm just going to do this to like be healthy. But really there's that eating disorder voice or energy that wants to grip onto it as another way to like control your eating, to try and be perfect or feel good enough. Like you really have to be honest with yourself about what's making the choices and the energy behind the behavior. Mm-hmm. Because working Absolutely. out could be a very healthy behavior. Or if it's driven by your eating disorder, it could be very unhealthy because mm-hmm. you're overdoing it. You know, yep. it's like if you're a diabetic and you're reducing sugar intake, that could be a really healthy behavior for you. Mm-hmm. But if you're cutting out sugar and obsessing, you know, you're dreaming about sugar at night and then binging on sugar because you're telling yourself yourself you can't have it for the sake of health, that's not a healthy behavior. And so right. it can be this really like fine line between like if is this like supporting my health and well-being or is this actually harming it? And so yes. You know, I love that you are like, you know, screening for that and really having those honest and tough conversations with people if it's necessary to make sure that mental health is like first, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to speak to that, 
you know, the beauty of macros is it really can cater to anyone's lifestyle and dietary preferences. And um, what I mean by that is we have a ton of clients who come in who are vegans, vegetarians, pescatarians, you name it. And I always, always watch for that though, too, because I'm like, okay, are they actually doing this? Because you know, it's something that they believe in or something, you know, they've eliminated in the past and it made them feel better. Or are they doing it because they think that's what's going to help them achieve, you know, the progress or the goal that they want. And I have not a ton of cases, but I have had a lot of women who have come through who are vegans and they realize how difficult it is to hit your protein goal being a vegan. It's possible. Don't get me wrong. It's definitely possible. But yes, it is going to take some strategic um, planning around the foods and making sure you're getting an adequate amount. And I have had a couple of clients who have literally started reintroducing fish and meat, not a ton, slowly, because they realize, wow, like my body is thriving now that I'm eating enough protein, but I'm cutting out all of these sources. And why, why am I doing this? I started, I became vegan a couple of years ago because I thought that was healthier for me, but now I'm reintroducing meats and seafood and my body's thriving. So I've actually like inadvertently like, like caused someone to stop being vegan, but that really proved to them like they were doing it for the wrong reasons. And, um, you know, again, that's not to speak poorly about anyone who has chosen to be vegan. That's just any client that comes in. I'm just like, all right, we're going to have to work on your protein. Mm -hmm. And some people are game for it. And some people realize that they need to change their lifestyle. And so it is really interesting, you know, client by client basis for sure. That's why I, what I teach is what I call the empowered eating process, because I want to empower everyone to be the ultimate authority over their bodies, mm-hmm. right? And so it's like, okay, what do I truly believe is right and best for me, you know? And from that place, then making those food choices from a place of self-love, which I heard you say at the right. beginning, it was like, I want to love myself again. And so when we want to love ourselves and take care of ourselves from that place of love, it's very different from making these choices from a place of I hate myself and I need mm-hmm. myself to change in order to love myself. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. All the Uh, good stuff. I know. But yes, like to your point though, as well, um, you know, those who have come in with a prior eating disorder, we've had, we've had clients where we have had to um, drop them from our program and refer them. And by the way, I refer everyone to Sarah because she's amazing. (laughs) Um, But if we noticed a lot of, um, you know, triggering behavior or obsession. We've had clients where if they don't hit their macro numbers, I'm talking spot on to where it's almost like a compulsion. Um, We will have to uh, definitely have a hard conversation and talk to them about that. And I will say most often than not, it's those who have never really sought treatment or therapy for their prior eating disorder. And they felt like macros was going to fix it. But some of us need to do that mental work before. Absolutely. And so we've definitely cut people from our program just for safety reasons, because macros really were triggering. Now, I would say it's very few and far in between, but that is why I always say 
I'm not here preaching macros is the only way for weight loss. I'm not preaching it's the only way for you to learn how to nourish your body because it can be so right for some and it can be definitely the wrong path for others. And like you said, it's just all about screening for that and being aware of these behaviors as a coach to basically protect my client for their mental health. And I love that. Any person who preaches like this is the way for everyone, you know, I would be wary to listen to them. And so, you know, you're just saying, hey, this is what's worked for me. This is what we teach. This has worked for many of our clients, Mm -hmm. you know, and if it's something where you're like desiring that kind of support, it may be the right fit and they can explore by connecting with you. Mm -hmm. And it may not be. And the same goes for working with me. I'm like, I want to talk about energy and we're going to tap and we're going to do Reiki and like, that may not be for you. You know, I've had plenty of people who are like, I'm good. I'm going to try something different, (laughs) you know? And so, but it's here for those people who resonate Mm -hmm. with it. You know, I think we get this like inner kind of just like knowing or tug that's like, yeah, that might be, that might be good for you. Or maybe Mm -hmm. it's good for you, like for where you're at right now. And, you know, it'll just be a process or a part of your journey, but it's not going to be, you know, the solution forever. Right. I did have a teacher who said, you know, her recommendation was do your inner work, do the emotional work, address all the things that are causing you to use food, to self-soothe, or, you know, that are causing you to binge, especially if you you have a history of trauma that Mm -hmm. hasn't been processed. And then when you've really taken care of yourself emotionally and mentally, like now you're in this like really solid, stable place where you, you are like setting yourself up to succeed. Mm-hmm. working on like improving what or how much you're eating exactly but it's hard to do that when you're like drowning in mm-hmm. your emotional gunk and your mental health is really unstable and so you know people listening you can decide for yourself where you're at but yes i do think you know when we take a holistic approach of treating a human yeah what what you eat it does matter to a certain extent or mm-hmm. what you believe about what you eat you know, matters to a certain extent. And it is helpful to look at these Mm -hmm. different components in whatever order you choose, whether it's one after the other at the same time. I mean, it's the pushback we get is it's human nature to want instant gratification. They want immediate results. They're putting in the time and the energy. They want it now. And so those who we have addressed, like, look, we got to work on your mental health first they are some some of them have been resistant because they're beside themselves about like wait what i i have to pause the button on weight loss and focus on my mental health and trying to explain that right that it has to it has to start with your mental health in order for you to see lasting and sustainable healthy changes but sometimes it's you know takes a lot of trial and errors for you to finally accept that but you know i am here to tell you of course it's hard because we want that instant gratification but yeah. god the reward is so much greater if you put in the time and the work and your patience and then just i always say just think you're putting in the work for x amount of time to reap the benefits for the rest of your life like right. that is so worth it and I so mean, it's preach just, to me because I've got, yes. I encountered the same thing. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, I've been doing the inner work for three months and it, I'm not healed. I'm like, yeah. sweetheart, on average, women work with me for like probably one to three years. Yeah. Because once we start, you're like, oh, I've just got like the past 30 years of my life of like 
a lot of unprocessed stuff to work Mm -hmm. through. And it's like, you know what? Three years compared to 30 years, like I'd say we did a pretty good job, you know? And you're right. It's like if if we didn't act on this and do this work now, imagine where you'd be in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Exactly. Exactly. Probably still in the same place. So mm -hmm. doing three years of hard work, for me, it took five years to recover from my eating disorder. And I tell that to people. I'm like, it took me five years, you guys. Mm you're six months in, you're doing great. Like, yeah, I mean, I really like celebrate the, the successes, the small shifts, because it's those small shifts over time that, like you said, is really what repatterns mm-hmm. our brain. And then eventually, I mean, I tell people this all the time, eventually you reach a point where it's not hard. Mm-hmm. Eventually, yep. and it seems like the same for you. It's like you reach the point I'm there. I'm like, oh yeah, if I want a cookie, I'll eat a cookie. Mm-hmm. But I don't obsess about cookies anymore. They don't consume my mind. I have one. I might have half. Eat the rest later. It's like it's just the new way of being is the sense mm-hmm. of like what we would call normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but it I took mean, years and years to get here. Yes. And I have this conversation with my clients all the time. I started my journey 2014 and there were many bumps in the road. Like I said to you, you know, I still binge ate occasionally. I would still have those moments of loss of control. And I would say probably the past three to four years is where I have really felt in control, happy with my choices, kind of like you, you know, I have a donut in my face. I don't need to eat the whole thing. I can take a few bites. I'll have people make comments to me, like even my roommates, because they're like, I don't understand how you just took a bite and you're done. Like I would eat the entire thing. And I have to reiterate, guys, this took me years of work, years and years and years of work. And I know that that sounds defeating to some, but God, I'm 30 years old. I'm living the life that I want to live. I love myself again. And was it worth those, what, five, six years? Absolutely. Oh my God. Like to get to this spot now, if I could just shake people more and just be like, do it, you will thank yourself. Um, And then you'll realize like those comments that you're making to me, you understand now that's, you know, you can be there too. So yeah, we end on, <laughs> on a message of hope. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's just a reminder, like nothing changes if nothing changes. Mm-hmm. So if you've been, you know, kind of going around the hamster wheel, trying the same diet or trying to control yourself around food, or you've been restricting and binging and just seem to be on that, that roller coaster, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's all sorts of support people. You know, I view totally. us as the guides. It's like, we can just be like, hey, let's like try this. We, you know, there's this option. Let's go down mm-hmm. this path and see what happens when we make these changes. And it gets to be a self-exploration and discovery. You know, yeah. there's no magic pill that is going to make the change happen for you overnight mm-hmm. without effort. And there will exactly. be missteps and there will be times where you feel like it's not working. And every time you pick yourself back up and you commit to learn how to love and take care of yourself better from a mm-hmm. place of love, not from a place of shame, yes, then you're you're on the path. Mm-hmm. Whether that's with me yeah. or whether that's with you or whether that's with someone else who calls to you. It's like, but you just got to find the the people and processes that resonate with you and go do that. Mm-hmm. 
and have the support. Like a lot of, I feel like some people do feel shame to even ask for a therapist or a nutrition coach. Don't be ashamed of that. We're here. I mean, you're going to be doing the work like you just said, but we're here to support you and guide you and never let you fail, never let you give up on yourself. And that's the most rewarding part of our job. I'm speaking for you, Sarah. Sorry, but yeah, really, you're speaking truth. <laughs> yes, but it is, you know, I always say like clients think me at the end and I'm like, you have nothing to thank me for. It was all you. I was just, I'm grateful to have been a part of your journey. That's how I like to phrase it because it truly was all of their hard work. Yeah. Yeah. We're yeah. just the guides or, you know, I think when you've been talking, I also hear similar quality as me, which is I want to be a mirror of truth. Mm-hmm. Like, I just want someone to see what's possible for them and be the person who's standing for that possibility mm-hmm. and not letting the old beliefs or sort of Debbie Downer mentality, like get the best of someone, yeah. you know? And so we all get in those pitfalls where we like, you know, there's no way out. It'll never get better. Mm-hmm. Doomsday. And it's like, hey, no, 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 no. <laughs> we ain't, we ain't going to let that be truth for you anymore. Nope. nope. We're here to rewire those brains. And- yeah. And make you happier again. I mean, like you said, we want to be examples that that it can happen and it will happen for you. You just have to be ready for the process and be ready for the work and it'll come. Yeah, so, so good. Well, yeah. we'll include some links in the show notes for anybody yeah. who would like to learn more about the habit. They can book a call with you to see if it might be a, a good fit or tool for yeah. them on their journey. Um I have two more. I'm like, God, there's so many things I want to say, but two last comments that I wanted to throw in, which is just the reminder for anybody that, you know, we all have our own background when it comes to like your history, what your upbringing was like with food and your food environment and trauma. Mm -hmm. And just from my perspective, you know, from a psychology viewpoint, like those, if you have a lot of history of trauma or had a really intense food environment growing up with like super strict food rules or even you know food scarcity mm-hmm. like be gentle with yourself because you mm-hmm. may have a little bit more work cut out for yourself than you did zan or than i did you know i think right for people to compare their journeys to ours would not be fair because everyone's mm-hmm. journey is unique and so we want to take into consideration that and then the second thing i was just going to say to like as a reason why for my clients, your work would be helpful is, you know, because I don't tell them what to eat. And sometimes they're like, I just want someone to tell me what to eat. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't do that. But <laughs> I understand the help of like, when you're trying to like figure out a way to nourish yourself that feels empowering and good for you, mm-hmm. that it would be helpful to have some guidance from professionals that you can trust. Right. Absolutely. And that's why. Um, for me, you're one of those people and the habit is one of those organizations that I, I feel is really doing a responsible job at offering that nutrition advice and support. So thank thank you you for for the work you do. Yes. No, thank you. This is why we make such a good team. (laughs) I know we've talked about some collabos before. And every time I talk to you, I'm like, this really is like a PB and J sandwich. Like, you know, when we come together, it's like, ah, they just go together so well. It does. It does. Which is why I was so excited for you to ask me to be on your podcast. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Like, it's just so easy to chat with you about everything. And so I hope you go for hours. Yeah, I know. I hope your audience, your listeners, you know, um, get something out of this because it was really awesome catching up with you and talking about everything. 
Awesome. Thanks, Anne. Of course. All right, guys. We'll see you later. Thanks for tuning in to the Empowered Eating and Living podcast. If you liked today's episode, make sure to follow the show so you don't miss future ones. And if you loved it, then please leave a five-star review so that we can share the love with others who may benefit from listening too. 